0: From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Psych Health and Safety Canada. Um, and I'm your host, Kim McDonald, and today my guest is Dr. Stephanie Rule. And she's a professor at Cape Breton University in human resources and organizational behavior.
1: And Stephanie, welcome. Thank you, Kim. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast.
0: This is a really it's going to be a really great conversation. I I love your research topics, and I'm really looking forward to digging into that. But before we get to some of those uh, conversations. I I would love you to share a bit about yourself, your background for our listeners, and uh, some of the work that you do.
1: Well, so as you said, I'm an assistant professor in organizational management and human resource um, management, organizational behavior and human resource management at the Shannon School of Business in Cape Breton at Cape Breton University. Uh, Prior to that, I was at the Open University in the UK, and before that, I was a life sciences mission manager at the Canadian Space Agency, helping conduct um, various types of research on the International Space Station and the space shuttle, including in the areas of osteoporosis research, visual perception, and how astronauts construct a sense of home on the ISS. So my research today is focused on justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and indigeneity concerns in various contexts, including in STEM areas, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and innovative entrepreneurship and family-run businesses. I'm also focused on particular individuals and communities, including adult Indigenous women and their respective communities, mental health care, and workplace needs while grieving a sudden death.
0: Wow, I that's that's a pretty impressive background. I have to say that it may be like everyone as soon as someone mentions space, uh, you know, it's that that's great conversation talk because the, anything that has to do with space missions, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's pretty that's a pretty interesting uh, place to start and in kind of an interesting swerve in the breadth of all that you've done. Um, and I can see how it applies. And um, one of my first questions to our guests is always, Because this podcast is all around psychological health and safety in the workplace and changing workplace conditions for the better, helping leaders to find new ways to think about some of the workplace hazards and stressors at work, how do you define psychological safety at work?
1: So that's a, a great question. Um, the research tells us different things. Um, there are certain risk factors that we have to be aware of. And um, research out of Simon Fraser University in particular talks about things like the health of individuals who work in the organization. And organizational culture is an important influence on psychological um, health and uh, impacting those risk factors. There's also uh, psychological and social support that organizations can offer, engagement within the work organization, and um, the obvious one is clear leadership in um, psychological health and safety.
0: Thank you for that. Your um, most recent research um, is very interesting, and yet many people may not consider it something that a workplace um, thinks about a great deal or certainly leaders think about it as a work-related stressor or a psychosocial stressor. And maybe you could share a little bit for our listeners about that topic and get us off uh, off the ground on
1: that. Yeah. So as you know, Kim, Death, grief, and grieving processes are captured in various fora, so um, including the arts, oral histories, storytelling, even in metaphysics. And these notions that surround death are also considered in the natural sciences, such as measuring biological markers, uh, for example, brain and cardiopulmonary death indicators that are focused on defining the nature of death. The study of grief and grieving, which is my focus, is often positioned within psychological and psych- psychiatric areas. And it starts really with Freud's work and is followed by Kubler Ross's 1969 uh, work on five stages of grief model, uh, which was later proven flawed. Now, the neurosciences, or the study of the brain, has stepped into um, the study of grief and grieving, calling itself the new science of bereavement. And neuroscientists are focusing on answering uh, why and how type questions surrounding grief, such as why does grief hurt so much? And how do the various structural centers in the brain play a role in the grieving process? So just as there are various um, death categories, so death after a long illness, um death after uh, a sudden event. So there are multiple ways to classify grief and grieving. Now, I make this distinction between grief and grieving for a very important reason. Mm. Grief can be characterized as the sudden overwhelming wash of emotions that can reoccur many times and without warning. It can strike at any moment, most powerfully, shortly after death. The grieving process can be categorized into three areas acute integrated and complicated and it's an adaptation to death and it can change the experience of grief over time complicated grieving which is the focus of my research is characterized by intense emotional pain disbelief inability to accept the death and difficulties engaging in activities to name only a few manifestations Mm. Um, Some research has pointed out that there appears to be similarities between suicide and other types of sudden death, like overdose, murder, and accidents, and the survivor's grieving process. So sudden death survivors may experience complicated grieving processes along with dealing with their own depression, substance abuse issues, and suicidal ideation that require immediate and long-term healthcare support. These grieving processes can involve uh, emotional and physical reactions, post-traumatic stress, stigma and isolation, family and community tensions, and loss of privacy. Various uh, empirical research has said that, has found that anywhere between 10 to 40% of sudden death survivors experience complicated grieving that can extend to four years. Oh, wow. they, alf- they also often struggle to find immediate and long term mental health care. Hmm. So there's important gaps in our knowledge concerning complicated grieving, even though it's it's been added to the DSM-5 just a year and a half ago. Um, And in the case of Indigenous people, the Canadian Truth and Reconciliation Commission's uh, call to action, uh, specifically call to action number 19, calls out the gap in mental health care uh, between Aboriginals and non-Aboriginal communities. There's also a need to focus in on the complex individual. And when I say complex individual, I mean, we're not just a woman. We're not just a man. We're actually um, have uh, abilities, disabilities, our sexual orientations, our gender, our ethnicity, and um, the different dimensions that we, um, that we work within. So dimensions here is economic, political, or cultural. And this, um, this complexity, this very complexity to being human, uh, also needs to be folded into complicated grieving experiences. The other area that needs to be folded in that is rarely addressed in the neurosciences of grief and grieving is the impact of culture and community on our mental health. And so putting all that together, (laughs) um, I've, um, my My uh, goal in studying indigenous women and their communities is to bring their very complexity, the needs for mental health care in these communities, and the the spiritual the cultural beliefs that are the foundation of these communities together to better understand complicated uh, grieving processes
0: as you shared some of that on complicated grieving i 'm thinking that many of us and i, I can 't speak for all of us, but I can speak for me. I never thought of grieving. I've experienced it in the way that you've talked about complicated grieving, but I think my go-to about grief is that acute or is something that happens. And, and it's not my experience, but it's what I, it's sort of like not my experience, but it's what I would have called what grieving is. So it's that period that's after uh, death and then, you know, the individual continues to be impacted by it, but life and work and all of the demands on us go on. And it doesn't, uh, you know, we don't talk about it as much. And like, there's all kinds of things that shape that, Stephanie, I think that um, makes it, uh, you know, I think it does make it harder that, um, you know, to go through that process. So the fact that the DSM-5 has recognized this as A illness and in that way is pretty significant in terms of um, individuals, all of us paying more attention and thinking about this in maybe different ways than we had. Um, Interesting that the work that you're doing around women and Indigenous women and their experiences and how do you bring that more into, you know, um, is there some Indigenous, you know, knowing that obviously that we don't know about that, you know, from a workplace perspective, that would be useful to thinking about this as a factor in the workplace. Um, I know it's trying to loop some of these things in and there's all kinds of uh, places we can go with that. But I think that's very interesting that there's many more ways to think about this and many more um, pieces of science, as well as other areas of knowledge that can inform us or if, if we can stay open to this is much more complex than we thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are very good points. Uh, Kim, it is very complex and to, to break it down, um, to just, you know, women versus men ignores that complexity Mm -hmm. and to, uh, focus in on just the individual also, um, is, is um, actually hurting Indigenous communities because the community is, um, f- for many Indigenous communities, it's their basis of um, their culture, their belief, um, and how they get through life every day. And if we're, you know, borrowing from Elder Albert's um, thoughts on holistic care and healing the soul wound, um, we need to consider not just the individual who's a sudden death survivor, we need to uh, consider the community that supports that individual and that integrates that support. And um, how can the indigenous community heal together to move forward not only from a mental health perspective, but also from an economic perspective to ensure that their community continues to thrive um, for the future generations. Now, all of these ideas I'm talking about for the benefit of Indigenous communities, to be clear, but I believe that Western society can also learn from this approach to healing of the the whole of the community is um, the focus of the healing exercise. And I believe um, Western society has lost sight of the importance Mm -hmm. of community and um, how that can impact their own economic lives.
0: Well, when you think of the 13 factors for the workplace and psychological health and safety, that social and psychological support, um, you know, from that social, the social group that's your workplace um, and, you know, as well as your family and community, um, that is incredibly important to long-term thriving and mental health. So um, getting a better understanding of some of these, it's not just down to that. The, the interesting thing for me is that we think of it in terms of terms and definitions, and then there's the lived, the process of it, which is so much more complex and rich than when we think about it. Is there a common understanding of grief or is that that's actually the basis for this, which is that, um, we maybe that that is exactly the shift and the pivot that you're, you're speaking about right there.
1: Yeah. So, um, a lot of people who are not conversant uh, in these basic definitions on grief and grieving um, may turn to the internet. And the internet, um, you know, is, is a great source of information. However, a lot of that information doesn't always reflect um, the latest research, and uh, the latest empirical research. So a lot of people end up turning to Klu- um. Kubler-Ross's um, grief model, which um, and and that model to to break it down for you talks in terms of uh, denial, anger, bargaining, uh, depression, and acceptance. The problem um, with that model is that, it, yes, it gave voice to the terminally ill individuals, but she used momentary experiences of grief to describe grieving over time. So the reality is we found since that um, breakthrough model was first published is that not everybody goes through those five stages. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of um, organizations have built their policies with regard to bereavement, leave and benefits on this five stages of grief model. Oh they've, also, they've also <laughs> assumed that um, grieving is linear. So um, in Canada, for example, uh, a lot of large and medium sized organizations provide five days of leave for the person to grieve um, and then expect them to come back to work. Unfortunately, not everybody is going to go through those five stages of grief, um, especially in the case of complicated grieving. And um, so this model has been used as a prescription while it's just a description of grief. Mm -hmm.
0: That is a fantastic informative differentiation that it is a prescription versus a description. And, um, how that has been used in workplaces. When you said that, I was like, aha, that is that, that is the model that we've seen um, anybody who's been in the workplace and has had, you know, a death in their family and then looked at the policy, you know, to figure out what is available to me. And I'm sure our listeners can relate to that. Like what is available to me, uh, when my, you know, a parent or a sibling or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle or grandparent or a friend um, passes away and uh, i think that's an experience that we've all had we thought oh maybe we don't always read all the policies in our workplaces and then there you know we go to it when we need it which is essential and then we see oh that that is giving me something that perhaps i didn't know that was not there you know that i didn't have access to that um it's funny when you you mentioned that particular model, I've researched that model myself <laughs> as a, you know, research nerd. And because I'm trying to, in that particular instance, and then I did read also about some of the um, the challenges with that and the problems that it presented. And so I, you know, luckily did follow the string and didn't send it to my mom, which I was actually going to send some of that information, Stephanie, to my mom because I was thinking, <laughs> okay, what can I do? She would absolutely ignore that, like, you know, as all <laughs> mothers would. But it was something that, you know, you kind of figure it out as you go through these processes, you know, as an individual, and you think, well, what can I do that can I gather? From the internet or whatever, you know, I try to go to the to the literature even in my you know personal life, but luckily, but that is so prevalent that that particular model is everywhere, and people do speak of it, and the fact that it's embedded in our systems, um, and is is a challenge, and you know, for a workplace. What would you suggest for um, leaders in their workplace when they think about that thought and that you just shared about how they're, you know, how things might have been created based on something that they may or may not have known the even the origins of it on, you know, why we we gather that particular thing and then we use it as a framework for what we're doing. And sometimes we don't go back very far, you know, which is a natural you know, piece, especially if it's accepted you know, if accepted in workplaces?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so part of my work as a researcher is also making sure that my students are aware of the latest research and um, To teach um, students how to navigate uh, empirical research and how to bring that into the workplace. So, um, you know, some of the exercises that I do as a professor in, in developing these students' abilities in the business world is to conduct searches on empirical research, peer reviewed empirical research articles, and to read them and to understand, to try to understand how different models for how we work well together, including mental health models, can be incorporated uh, responsibly into organizations. So you can, um, beyond the student classroom, you can take that to the general population and um, urge people to do this empirical research searches using things like uh, Google Scholar um, Mm -hmm. and search for uh, models Um, For mental health that are based on empirical evidence, not just somebody anecdotally sharing uh, an idea or a thought. Um, Look for that empirical research, because the idea with empirical research is that you've studied uh, across different populations, across different countries, to see what works and what doesn't work, to put it very simply. Um, So, leaders in organizations um depending obviously on the size of the organization can task their hrm uh professionals to do that type of analytical work and and critical thinking um, to find the latest research and um to come up with, um, you know, a plan for, in this particular case, complicated grieving individuals, looking at the very complexity of individuals to um, tailor uh, leave provisions and benefit packages that can help them uh, Mm -hmm. navigate this very difficult period. So, for example, in the UK, there has been a shift in the past couple of years um, towards recognizing um the death of a child and how that impacts men and women differently um so in the case of men instead of having um you know the standard two and a half to five days of leave in the death of a child they've now expanded that to 30 days of leave for men
0: wow what a shift yes.
1: yeah it, it's it is a major shift now <laughs> the there's more that needs to happen with regard to a loss of a child because the, the grieving uh, in a sudden death, um, uh, complicated grieving experience, the, the timing of 30 days might not be enough. Because again, we're talking about six months to four years of uh, possible mental health challenges. So all of that um, can be built into leave provisions and benefit packages.
0: I can see also where, um, you know, health oriented leaders and compassionate leaders who are shifting their culture and making uh, thinking of it as, you know, maybe also in the realm of accommodations, you know, where you have, you know, obviously people do have to work and because they also need, you know, the economic, uh, you know, all the revenue that comes from that into the household. So those, and for the business to be able to, you know, continue to operate. So more flexibility in, you know, uh, accommodating, uh, you know, a, a person going through that process and for fairness and also understanding and reducing the work stress burden or maybe the conditions in which the work happens. So I can see if we're flexibility in thinking about um, the long-term, you know, which is always challenging for, you know, businesses, family businesses and other businesses, which is, you know, thinking about the long-term and obviously today thinking about what needs to happen to be able to have a retention and, you know, attraction, retention. And you had mentioned about culture and, you know, that is a, that can be, psychosocial risk factor and it also can be something that attracts individuals to organizations where they do have uh, a lot more flexibility Uh, and you know and certainly this topic around grieving and grief um, and having more conversations about that uh, in the workplace. I am so pleased about that shift from the UK perspective you know, if you had asked me before to guess what the, what the extension would be from two days, I would maybe gone to five. Like, I, you know, obviously I was thinking too, because I don't know the depth of it, but I think that understanding within healthcare and within um, organizations, there's huge opportunity there. Um, what do you think are some of the, in your research, Like, what are some of the questions or some of the things that you you found in the workplace that um, you see some opportunity for changing, as well as
1: that benefit, you know, if you want to share a bit more on that? Yeah. So another thing that that, that has struck me in my research is, um, you know, we've just come through COVID and uh, we're we're still dealing with some after effects of of this pandemic and this return to um, the workplace. HRM professionals were hit very hard uh, during the pandemic in trying to manage this crisis. And if we take a moment to think about all of the lives that were lost due to the pandemic and the impact on the individuals who lost a loved one during the pandemic, um, there is no risk management plan in place for dealing with uh, grief and complicated grieving in particular. And so this shift with regard to being aware that death is going to happen in an organization needs to be captured within some type of risk management plan to identify Mm -hmm. what steps can the organization take to mitigate that this risk to interrupt um the business that they're they're doing as you pointed out and um to put to put plans in place in case um, of the next pandemic, because we've been told that there's going to be another pandemic. We don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, We don't know what, um, what type of experience it's going to lead to, but it will happen. So, taking a look at those risks and clearly identifying them and addressing how to be, like you said, flexible in the light of death happening.
2: Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode.
0: What do you think it would What do workplace leaders need to. Well, what do they need to change? Or or are there any barriers right now that you found in your research that, you know, maybe there are common mindsets, common views, you know, Um, you mentioned about the HR manager and the stress that that person, that particular role and the people in those roles have had in the pandemic. I, from what I've read and, you know, my own experience, we have, we all underestimated the impact Of some of um, very particular roles inside organizations that, um, you know, get to work, get busy, and you know, very dedicated people continued on through a lot of phases that we didn't necessarily. I think we'd all agree we didn't slow down and stop sometimes. I mean, it did, you know, there were lots of conversations about us slowing down with the pandemic, and it had some of those very positive things, but I think there were still those underlying beliefs around getting the work done that, that sort of never, you know, that doesn't let up as easily as some of the other things that we did. Um, what are some of the things that can, you know, for someone who is wants to be more aware that they can watch inside themselves when they think, Oh, well, you know, it'd be great to talk about these topics. And we also have to get back to work. It's like, you know, like, right. It. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah.
1: So there, there are a number of barriers. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big ones is um, a lot of people don't want to face death. And um, the unfortunate reality is death is part of life. Mm-hmm. And so having, having a champion or a sponsor of grief and grieving within an organization um, that is focused on um, Instilling urgency in uh, introducing change to the mental health landscape at work is an important step to undo this barrier, to to make others um, aware that it's perfectly normal to experience grief. Um, It's perfectly normal to go through your own grieving process. The concern uh, becomes one um, of care, uh, efficient and effective care for those who are dealing with complicated grieving and who find it very difficult to to navigate all of the different things that you have to go through uh, when you face a sudden death. And that champion or that sponsor can help that person navigate those um, difficult experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, another barrier is... Um, is a lack of vision within organizations um, in their definition of organizational core values that embrace the idea that death is going to happen. So when you have this um, lack of vision with regard to your core values, um, you you introduce the possibility for biases to come into uh, the organization's values and you set up this conflict between the personal and the professional. And um, so, and you know, conflict uh, negatively can negatively uh, impact organizations and um, maintaining their sustainable um, competitive advantage.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that conflict between the personal and the professional.
1: Yeah. So let's look at Indigenous uh, communities and Indigenous women in particular. So, there are different practices around grief and grieving in Indigenous communities. And some of those um, values, and I'll classify them as personal, uh, community based values, um, involve a year of grieving. Um, Now, try and transplant that grieving, that personal value of grieving for a year into an organization um, that has not defined its core values with regard to death and um, believes that uh, to be an effective organization, people need to be present at their desk and working, you know, nine to five. Um, not having, <laughs> I'm going to the extreme to show the example, not having any emotions, um, just getting the work done. So you get a conflict between a community that needs a year for their grieving process to heal versus an organization that just wants the person to do the work and be present in their seat when they're doing their work. Um, The inevitable outcome is conflict. Whereas if an organization takes the time to identify that employees are important to its competitive advantage, of creating a sustainable competitive advantage in its marketplace and identifies that um, individuals are complex and have different um, cultural, spiritual beliefs that come into the workplace. If you marry that recognition that there are these different um, complex individuals working in your organization with the personal values, you decrease the conflict. I think I feel
0: like we should pause. That is the most brilliant um, sort of description and unpacking of how we don't, at times in Canadian business, talk about these very personal life stressors and how they're going to impact the work and show up in, in our performance, in our relationships, in our lives. That is... Um, That description is excellent to try to help organizations. And I would uh, love to see more organizations think about those, that very human value um, at the level of the human experience. Uh, You know, we see a lot of FIFE in many, many years of strategic planning with organizations, you know, different kinds of capturing different buckets of values and then thinking about those. But it is rare to see an organization go to that level and talk about um, what do we believe around death and grief or grieving or those kinds of very human experiences. That's going to a level that, um, that you know, and maybe some of our listeners may have had those experiences where their workplaces are doing that. And I would love to hear from them that they are in a workplace that is doing that kind of work and thinking about that because they are a human-centered organization. Um, but some of the research, you know, shows us that we, you know, it may not be the case. So I think breaking down that as a obstacle and a barrier is a creating understanding and awareness first. And that awareness that you're bringing is a really big gift, I think, to workplaces. Stephanie, too allow them to talk about these things. I can see how it will also help other things unfold in, you know, when you talk about some of these most personal things, I think the natural openness creates even more safety to talk about even other things that people experience that maybe has some of that, the differences, bringing that difference the way we see grief and seeing other things that are happening and we experience them differently. So, That variety um, is, I think, an important conversation. Um, And um, yeah, I just think it's an amazing description. So um, thank you for that. When we think about um, HR, I'm thinking, speaking to HR um, leaders themselves, um, and as you say, the conversation or the champion for these topics can come from any where in the organization. For HR managers, um, in some of your research, what has been their experiences that, you know, is they, and sort of, have you done any research to sort of see what are some of the ways in which they think about these topics and how they apply it to their workplaces?
1: So, um, unfortunately, within the grief and grieving research in organizational behavior and human resource management, I can count on two hands, uh, the amount of people who are studying these areas. Um, so grief, grieving processes, and I'll add in, uh, compassion, um, mm. into this landscape. Um, it's, uh, I hesitate to say it's a new area, but it's an understudied area um, in uh, the academic circles. And we definitely need more research to occur. And there was just a recent um, article by a a colleague of mine um, where she shares the CARE model, um, a very powerful model that um, tries to build in these different um, a, this different level of awareness to personal values and core values surrounding death. And so it's, it's, a, it's a new area that needs uh, a lot more attention um, and that needs to be transported into um, industry, um, whether it's an entrepreneurship venture all the way to you know, a large uh, multinational type of organization.
0: Stephanie, can you share the care model for listeners who may not know
1: about that particular acronym? Right. So um, Stephanie Gilbert um, and her co-investigators conducted an empirical study and they um, created this model uh, based on four dimensions of support for bereaved individuals and employees. So, as a way to promote a positive experience for the bereaved employee. So CARE is, is an acronym and it stands for communication, accommodations, recognition, and emotional support.
0: Thank you. As you say, the the research within this field and has, as it can be transported uh, and translated into the workplace, there's a small, it's a small group and um, the, So I think anyone who, any of our listeners who might be able to be interested in the topic can certainly go to the literature and they can do some of those research and find some of those studies. And I think that would be a really great um, opportunity for an HR manager who might be interested in this as well, to be able to source some of those things and start to think about their own workplace policies or, um, you know, even more broadly for workplace leaders, the culture, their culture around this and have those all of the research that you and your colleagues have done to help inform that shift, and um, and understand all of these topics more. In, I guess, from a Canadian perspective, and I don't know, and you may or may not be able to answer this, but I'm just wondering as you talked about uh, the cultural, some of the cultural differences, and some of our, you know, our all of the differences in an individual and it might be that we have a different view of grief or grieving from a culture perspective. It may be uh, a personal family one. It could be from all kinds of different uh, sort of um, origins of gender. Talking about cultural differences a little bit more, can you share a little more on that? And I really appreciate it the thread of the indigenous um, work that's going through all of your work. And how workplaces can be thinking and gathering, you know, whether it's, you know, whether their culture, which we know is built most likely from a Western standard uh, in Canada. Um, But these other areas of knowing and even more broadly, other cultural ways of understanding and how we can help, you know, sort of broaden the understanding from maybe what, from a Western perspective, is a fairly narrow uh, and, uh, you know, I guess a narrow perspective to help to integrate some of these other things.
1: Right. So um, I think it'll help if I just take a, a step back and explain uh, sort of the foundations of my research. So um, I use... Various, or I'm studying various ways of understanding grief and grieving processes. Some of it comes from the neurosciences of grief and grieving. Some of it comes from the social cultural models for healing. So the importance of uh, belief and spirituality and how that influences our um, grieving processes. And also the thread of indigenous ways of knowing. So specifically, I'm pulling on Two-Eyed Seeing, which is a knowledge system that is recognized as part of Indigenous research methodologies. So it's a guiding principle. It's a lens. It's an approach to embrace diverse knowledges to work side by side. Um, I think Elder Albert uh, said it best, so I'm going to quote uh, from his work. Uh, He defines two-eyed seeing as the gift of multiple perspectives treasured by many Aboriginal peoples and refers to learning to see from one eye with the strength of Indigenous knowledges and ways of knowing and from the other eye with the strength of Western knowledges and ways of knowing and to using both these eyes together for the benefit of all." So, two eyed seeing permits us to, um, permits all of us to decolonize Western scientific knowledge while also uh, honoring Indigenous perspectives and Indigenous relationality. So, the idea here is that we're not just looking at this issue of grief and grieving processes and death with just a Western lens, we're also pulling on different ways of knowing and hoping to weave these knowings together um, for the benefit of indigenous communities, clearly, but also um, to benefit Western society to understand that there are different ways of knowing and going through life and death. Thank you for that. I think, is there, are there resources that you know, we
0: can guide HR managers, too, that you're familiar with that we can, uh, you know, I can also put it, you know, we can put it out there so that they can also uh, jump into their own research if you were going to give them some advice. If they were one of your students and they had an interest in this, that you say, well, here are the top three resources I would go to to start my understanding of grief and grieving
1: so um, I'd be happy to share those with you and, and your listeners I can provide some links uh, for That'd you be great. I can yeah I can also urge um, your listeners to uh, consider the critical thinking skills in approaching empirical research
0: mm-hmm. um, you'd mentioned about the <coughs> critical thinking skills yeah, Stephanie that's um, let's talk a little bit about some of the competencies that can you know whether it's a A workplace leader or an HR manager can be thinking about what are some of the skills, competencies, abilities that can ready ourselves to have these conversations that, you know, in topics like this that are absolutely essential to thriving in the workplace. But also, we know that, you know, for workplaces that don't start to think about some of these uh, topics can create additional hazards and stress just in their absence Of dealing with them or addressing them? What are some of the competencies that can ready a workplace to be able to have good conversations around grief and grieving?
1: So that's a great question. And one of the key uh, competencies is an an ability to think critically about the information that's presented in front of you. So these critical thinking skills, you need to apply Um, in, for example, your internet searches for information about grief and grieving processes, because unfortunately, the way the databases are set up for searching, they determine the patterns that you're interested in. And so you can get stuck in a rut of certain types of information. So you need to critically think about Uh, for example, key search terms that you're interested in. So for example, instead of looking up grief, which may um, lead you to uh, a particular model that's outdated, you could uh, look at neurosciences of grief. And that may open up a wealth of information about uh, mental health care and how the models have changed. You could also try looking up, for example, two-eyed seeing and see how um, two-eyed seeing has influenced medical models of care and looking at the holistic care of individuals. So try and think outside of the box. Again, these critical thinking skills um, to find the, some examples of research, empirical research that's going on. Another um, component for especially human resource managers is to communicate, Um, communicate with senior leadership and middle managers who are sort of stuck in between the employee and the senior managers and, and the executives um, in trying to navigate in this case, complicated grief, They these middle managers may need more support from their human resource managers to better understand what's available for their employees and how to also uh, meet the requirements of the organization while this employee who may be a sudden death survivor is off work. And um, finally, I think the third skill that um, needs to be practiced is openness so openness to communication, openness to being flexible with your employees as difficult as that may sound um, it's important to recognize once again that um, organizations are made up of humans and um, if you're open to that reality you will you will breed loyalty, respect, and the very best from your employees. Mm. That's
0: great advice. I think it's good to step back and think about some of those the readiness work that we can do as we approach some of these topics, especially uh, topics that might have, you know, uncomfortable feelings or stigma even or stereotypes or, you know, beliefs. That uh, you know formed from certain things that you know have haven't been you know looked at in a while. I mean, our own belief system. Like, what do we believe, and what do we think about this? And having some some openness, as you say, and the flexibility to look at our own beliefs and what might be an obstacle for having a conversation as a supervisor in a workplace when somebody does have um, a death in the family. You know, taking it um, into a conversation in the workplace. Um, and, you know, because there are others within that team that might be affected by the, you know, because their colleague, their peer, their friend is in a very difficult state. So I can see the ripple effect too, on maybe on the work team.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're Um, all human. Yeah. I think the good
0: news for uh, many workplaces is this shift that, you know, back to creating more openness around some of these conversations and that blend of, as you say, the personal with the professional and um, breaking down some of those ways of thinking about being one way and leaving that humanness at the door. And... We also know that that can be helpful to us in our own process of living to be able to, you know, um, you know, box things up a little bit. You know, sometimes that is just what we need in the workplace to go to work to be able to help to process some of the difficult things that happen in our life. So um, I think uh, advice, you know, for leaders is to ask, ask the employee what they need, and. Uh, and to think about that and it's even asking questions can be a wonderful, you know, uh, opportunity to find out more and have a better relationship with your, your team member and your employee. And, uh, you know, but asking the questions of what they need, because different people do need different things, as you say, and that the non-linearness of the grieving is also, I think, a huge, um, area of conversation.
1: Yeah, Um, indeed. Um, and there's also the accompanying idea that the person may not know what they may need mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, as far as accommodation. So yes, um, you know, many of us in society have been told to advocate for ourselves. Um, but sometimes, especially in complicated grieving, um, you may not know what you need. And so, um, again, this is where the HRM professional can step in and advocate for that person who, may not know what they need at that moment in time and also providing them that space to say, look, I don't know what I need right now, but can I get back to you? And that's a perfectly uh, valid response. Hmm. It's always a valid, I love that, that
0: I don't know. And being able to be comfortable with saying, I don't know. Um, And then ensuring that the workplace response is to create like the openness. So when you do know, and it forms and evolves that the openness is there to even come back at a different time to, you know, to, well, it's three months later. Well, now I know what I need. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, having that, that reality inside the workplace to be able to know that. And I think that what underscores all that is some of the learning around complicated grieving. And, um, and thank you so much for sharing some of that today. That's, these are really important topics for workplaces and, definitely topics that, you know, maybe people don't think about all the time when they think about when they're looking at their values, you know, what is their values around death that, you know, and when you have those kind of losses, what are our values around those losses? Um, that's a, That's a pretty amazing question to be able to encourage workplaces to have those conversations. And I think you're, Connection to the pandemic and what may or may not come in the future, because we do know that that was a pretty significant shift for many businesses trying to figure out, navigate that. So some of the preparation around this I mean the timing is great for now before um, more of those kinds of particular examples, but for every day when a team member has a loss in their lives to have those conversations and absolutely I'll gather those links from you and I'll put them um, for our listeners in the notes and uh, thank you for all that you've shared today. I really appreciate your time and your conversation and love to learn more and more about this because I do think it's uh, the more we can have these kinds of, create some comfort I guess, or maybe you can't make an uncomfortable conversation like this comfortable, but at least having more awareness and understanding, and some of that skill building that you referenced, I think, can get us closer to um, being able to be more open and flexible too. So, Thank do you have any final?
1: Yeah, do you have any final uh, thoughts for our listeners? So, some final thoughts. Um, please invest the time and effort in investigating and understanding empirical research around grieving. Um, Take the time also to define that risk management plan for the benefit of your organization and for the benefit of your employees. And also contribute to uh, improving cultural awareness by embracing those core values that are important for your organization. And finally, recognize that each step you take towards mental health awareness can contribute to opportunities for economic growth, not just for your business, but for the individuals in the community.
0: Mm. Thank you. If people wanted to, listeners wanted to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you?
1: So they can reach out to me at um, my Cape Breton University email address, and uh, I'll share that with you also. You can provide that in your comments.
0: Thanks. One of the greatest places in the world, Cape Breton (laughs) for all of our listeners who've never been. It's not necessarily a tourism um, opportunity, but it is because uh, every individual in the world should go to Cape Breton. It is one of the most glorious places on earth and I love that you're there. Um, So thank you for that and thank you for our listeners for uh, listening in and while you're here, check out other episodes on topics that might interest you, and please share with your network and your colleagues. Um, Our goal is to share and talk about workplace culture and change and psychological health and safety and all of the things that impact our mental health at work. And thanks also to Flourish DX, who's the sponsor for the podcast. And uh, until next time. You've been listening to the Psych, Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.